keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> Wrestle Roasts. On ad free shows and two, one. Welcome everyone to Wrestle Roast. I'm your host, Robert Carpolis. And yes, you are correct. Uh, if you're wondering what the hell is going on, uh, I'm hosting today. We are sort of scattered across the uh, four corners of the United States here. This is not, I repeat, not an elite CM Punk situation where we all secretly hate each other and can't be in the same place at the same time. Uh, right now, Dan and I were scheduled to record. Dan is actually on his way to Montreal, uh, where he is—he's uh, doing some comedy. He's got a couple shows going on there. Uh, Scott is going to be recording something that's going to be tacked on a little bit later in this episode, uh, and Mike is uh, currently in uh, Ted Kaczynski's old shack. Now that Kaczynski has died, Mike is going to assume the mantle. Uh, I'm kidding. He's not unstable. He's hanging out with Pete Davidson. How could that possibly go wrong? Uh, So I will sort of be steering the ship here on a very special episode of Wrestle Roasts uh, at the top of the hour. Just to do a little bit of uh, of business, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Dan for the Patreon this weekend is going to be giving his thoughts on Dynamite uh, as well as Collision and SmackDown. Dan, who right now just texted me live, uh, mentioned I'm in Montreal Comedy uh, Friday and Saturday. So if you are in Montreal, near Montreal, or you're not Jeff Hardy and are able to cross the border... Go see Dan do some stand-up comedy in the greater Montreal area uh, and get some uh, get some poutine while you're there. It's you know I worked in hockey for eight years. My go-to for Canada is either poutine or Molson. Uh, so it's amazing that uh, those of you up there don't uh, don't die younger of heart conditions, given the fact that it's just thick, syrupy molasses beer uh, and thick gravy-covered French fries, but. That's not the point. The point is we're going to be talking a lot of different topics here today. Uh, But yes, for the Patreon, Dan is going to be talking about Collision and SmackDown uh, and his dynamite thoughts. Scott will have uh, his thoughts at the end of the show. Spoiler alert, he thinks it was dope. Uh, But we've got a lot of other things to talk about. We've got Forbidden Door uh, preview. So next week for the main show, we're going to be doing the Forbidden Door recap. I know there is... A, uh, a a roast that we are going to do. Uh, Dan constantly rejiggers it, switches those around. Uh, speaking of of rejiggering, uh, what a great word to use. Uh, speaking of rejiggering, uh, we were originally for the Patreon this weekend going to be covering the American Gladiators uh, thirty for thirty. That's getting pushed off by one week uh, because. ESPN has not made it available online. It's only on ESPN+. Plus. Scott doesn't have it. I don't have it. Dan, 
obviously has it. The man pays for the observer. Uh, he's going to have access to pretty much every streaming service available and bless his heart for it. But uh, they're re-airing that 30 for 30 next week on ESPN. So Scott and I are going to watch it. Then we'll be able to talk a little bit more intelligently about it. I will say just off the top of my head, super excited to watch this. Number one, growing up America, uh, American Gladiators fan. Uh, I think anybody that's a, uh, a wrestling fan probably got sucked into it at some point in time. I always love the fact that uh, Rico, uh, Rico Constantino, Rico from uh, Billy Chuck and Rico was an American Gladiators contestant who uh, who won their big prize one year. And I remember seeing him years later on WWE and I was like, hey, I recognize that guy. And, uh, you know, things worked out great for him career wise. Just I, he, he did make a video game, uh, which is a lot more than you can say for, you know, the acclaimed. Uh, or FTR for the latest uh, AEW video game, which I believe comes out next week. Uh, last bit of kind of housekeeping within housekeeping. There's there's layers here, guys, like a like a pyramid scheme. Um, I know that Mike and Scott uh, are definitely going to be getting AEW Fight Forever. Uh, I'm probably going to be getting it for PlayStation 5. Dan, I will assume, is going to get it as well. We're looking at the possibility of doing something on one of those video game streaming platforms where we play Fight Forever. If that's something you're interested in, uh, let us know. Post about it. We've got uh, great – you know, I'm, I'm doing all plugs now. I feel like Dan. I feel like a little bit of a whore by doing it, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, a little bit like Jericho accused Sting. But uh, we've got the Facebook group, uh, which is which is great. There's obviously our WrestleRoast Twitter account. Uh, there's uh, – I want to say the Instagram and YouTube, but I'll be perfectly honest – I'm not an Instagram guy, so if it's there, awesome. I hope you all love it. If it's not there and you're searching WrestleRoast and you wind up on some like Chinese spy bot site, not my uh, not my fault. Giving you fair warning. Uh, also, fair warning, we've got the Pro Wrestling Tees store, a bunch of shirts up there, and there will be a QT uh, Marshall shirt coming at some point in time soon. Uh, that's going to be fantastic. But as for the main show, what are we doing here? I'm in the driver's seat at the beginning of this, so we're going to do something a little bit differently here, which is something I typically do on something of sports entertainment with. I'm going to talk a little bit about WWE. I know. Clutch your pearls. Mike is already groaning. When everybody's there, I'm the corporate shill. I get it. You know, collected a paycheck from WWE, uh, have some fond memories that time, have a lot of challenging memories from, from that era, but I'll be honest, I enjoy watching the the wwe product i enjoy watching uh the aew product contrary to popular belief with some of those those reviews uh any chance you can to watch wrestling and watch good quality wrestling is always going to be a plus uh but on the something to sports entertainment with here i do a deep dive into every uh episode of monday night raw uh, typically the day after it airs. Uh, this week, I had every intention of covering Raw and NXT, but due to some technical difficulties, didn't get a chance to do it. So I want to touch on a little bit of uh, of what there was that was kind of the good, the bad, and whatever on Monday Night Raw and give a little bit of focus to to NXT here, kind of sharpen that pencil a little bit, help you be a a, a slightly smarter fan. And I think that's that's always a plus. Uh, looking at, at what Raw was doing, Raw is, is pushing to the Money in the Bank ladder match and the Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view, which is taking place in London. And WWE is 
really aware of the fact that AEW is going to be running Wembley. And I think that Wembley show that AEW is going to put on, they're going to stack it. They're going to throw everything they possibly can at that at that broadcast uh, to to make it this great, memorable event. And I hope that it is an absolute just barn burner of a show. I think that the the London crowd has shown that they are rabid, loyal fan base. These are people who follow the product they love the product they interact with the product they want to be able to to experience it live and getting to see a a pay-per-view there in Wembley Stadium which is something that a lot of these you know fans only think about because they know of SummerSlam 92 they probably were too young to attend or if they went there now you know they want to be able to bring their kids whatever that may be uh so AEW has a chance to really kind of blow the doors off but WWE wants to stack their own show and the way they are building money in the bank is really intriguing and you're really seeing where WWE has the ability to to capitalize and leverage going forward on on some of their their newer stars uh, and get some high profile attention. Part of that was seen on Monday Night Raw uh, with the announcement of Logan Paul as part of the Money in the Bank ladder match. And for those of you who listened on our, our Patreon over the weekend, where we reviewed Collision, talked about Punk's return, also talked a little bit about Money in the Bank, and I said. Logan Paul is going to show up on Raw, and he's going to announce that he's in the Money in the Bank ladder match, and he has to be everyone's odds-on favorite to win. There is so much mileage that can be achieved by Logan Paul winning that Money in the Bank briefcase, uh, him having it on his impulsive podcast, uh, him bringing it to various media appearances, the way Bad Bunny wore the 24-7 title on Saturday Night Live, the fact that he can cash in and be the first celebrity to win a world title where it doesn't feel like a, a gimmick. It's not the David Arquette thing that upended the world. We love David Arquette, former former guest of Wrestle Roasts, but the audience didn't take him seriously. We now know that we can take Logan Paul seriously. And Logan Paul, with the combination of the Money in the Bank briefcase, is the kind of person who could win that title make major headlines, and not embarrass the company when he's in the ring. There is a lot of value in Logan Paul winning the uh, the world heavyweight title. He already has a storyline built in there for Seth Rollins. There's talk of Logan Paul, John Cena, potentially at SummerSlam. I don't know if they have enough runway for Seth to be established as the world champion, lose it to Logan Paul, then pivot to John Cena. It could just be Logan Paul's got the briefcase that alone riles up John Cena to bring him out uh, to have a match. We don't know. But Logan Paul's segment on Raw, if you, if you go back and watch it, was a nice little bit of spotlighting other people. They've set up this kind of mini feud with Logan Paul and Ricochet. We all know, I think, the world of Ricochet. Uh, this is where Mike, again, rolling his eyes in the back of his head, worked with Ricochet and MLW. Wildly talented guy. Tremendous in the ring, good, just business person who understands this industry. Yes, his promo skills are not necessarily at the level of other people, um, but there's a, there's an authenticity when he talks. And him getting that little rub from Logan Paul first when they uh, they collided with one another at the Royal Rumble, and now here is only going to make uh, Rick Ricochet 
more valuable under this Logan Paul umbrella. Uh, a couple of other interesting notes, tidbits, things to touch on. The uh, the way they're using Judgment Day, all four members of Judgment Day are now important. Dan and I, for a long time, buried the Judgment Day stable. We thought it was significantly lesser than. Uh, it was that edge-led group. It didn't feel congealed. It didn't feel like it made a lot of sense. When they put Finn in there as sort of their new de facto leader, things did start to turn around. And you, you look now in, in June of 2023, all four of the members of Judgment Day have great paths going forward. Finn Balor going up against Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank in London. I know he's not, it's not the hometown guy, but anybody from the United Kingdom, uh, they view as sort of hometown grown. And Finn turning up the intensity, the attack that they had him do at the beginning of Raw, where it felt chaotic. It felt like the attitude era a little bit where we don't know what's going on. They cut to commercial. Everything feels like chaos. They come back and he's attacking again. A killer Finn Balor is only going to help the WWE, reminding people like this is a guy who who did conquer New Japan. Uh, this is a guy who got his footing in NXT and became a face of that brand. And his entire trajectory was knocked off its course because of Seth Rollins. And they're building that into the story and they're building his intention, intensity. Uh, Damian Priest being focused on winning the Money in the Bank ladder match. He has gotten a lot better over time in the ring. I, he's not great. He's not, you know, an all-timer, but he's not like Baron Corbin part two, which is kind of where he was languishing for a while. He's trying to improve. He's trying to get better. And you can see it in in his in his in-ring work, the length of time they're giving him, the fact that they were able to trust him to have a one-on-one -on -one match with Bad Bunny uh, is proof that this guy can can get it done. And putting him in that Money in the Bank ladder match is is a fantastic use of him as a talent and a real nice spotlight for him. Uh, Rhea Ripley is the reason why we are always so critical of the AEW women's division. And I know, I know, it's, oh, we're, AEW does this and WWE does that. I, some of it is I can't help it. It's nature of of the way that I look at the business. Some of it is... When you compare apples to apples, WWE has excelled in making the women in their company feel like top stars and not top female stars. Um, it sounds kind of illogical, but when you think about it, it does make sense. When you see a Rhea Ripley, when you see a Charlotte Flair, uh, when you see a Becky Lynch or a Bianca Belair, you think of them as these are people who can headline a show and not these are the top women who can headline the show. Like Rhea Ripley is kind of eclipsing a lot of the guys the way that Becky Lynch was doing a few years ago at the onset of her The Man character. And Rhea being this, this uh, shit-stirrer, uh, this disturber, and weaponizing Dominic Mysterio in the way that she has is, is great. And she herself seems like this unstoppable killer juggernaut that you're wondering who can, who can upend her. She's sort of the female Roman Reigns uh, for lack of a better uh, better comparison. And her leveraging Dominic Mysterio and getting him into a situation where he is now challenging Cody 
because Cody needs an opponent and you're putting Cody in there with a guy who is going to get booed out of the building the entire match. Uh, you have to give it to the WWE that they are trying everything they can to stave off the inevitability of everybody turning on Cody and being sick of Cody. And there were some points during that Brock Lesnar feud where you kind of felt like there was a possibility that they were going to get, you know, hey, it's cool you're back. It's great that we have you. You failed at WrestleMania. Your rah-rah promos are a little over the top here, dude. Uh, we're going to start booing you again. But when you put him against Dom, I think the audience just has fun booing this guy. He's naturally hateable. He's naturally something you just want to see uh, get his throat ripped out. And that is always going to be money. And the minute Cody and Dominic Mysterio are in that ring, uh, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. It's not going to be the best match. But it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to let that London crowd just kind of let loose. And Cody will look like a bigger star because of it. Little moments throughout Monday Night Raw. Uh, I think the best is the use of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. They are consistently main eventers, even though they don't have an active, really hot storyline going on right now. And that's okay. They are... Big names, they're the tag champions. You can put them on Raw, you can put them on SmackDown. On SmackDown, you have a whole host of challengers who are coming after those guys. You got uh, Pretty Deadly, obviously, winning a, a five-team battle, you know, a gauntlet battle. Uh, I don't love gauntlet matches, but in this case, it was fine. But you got the LWO floating around out there. Uh, you got uh, Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes that are hanging around out there. You got the Viking Raiders, you got uh, Alpha Academy. A lot of interesting tag teams, a lot of interesting opportunities for people that can go after them. And if you believe the rumor and innuendo, uh, to quote our beloved friend Conrad Thompson, uh, Tommaso Ciampa came back on Raw, and there's a chance that him and Gargano are going to reform DIY. And if we get to Ciampa and Gargano uh, versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, I don't think anybody's going to be too sad about that. In the interim... Uh, using Kevin and Sammy to, to feud with Judgment Day, to feud with Imperium. Uh, Kevin's funny little comedy bits. Uh, he's a rageaholic, uh, and he's trying to keep it in check, and you know you got Riddle needling him. It's nice little character work, and it's those little moments that help guys grow uh, and make the show not feel like it's a constant slog of match, intense angle, match, intense angle. And it's also not the really goofy broad comedy we sometimes had to sit through with WWE. It's a, a high wire act for sure. Uh, and I think those guys are really pulling it off well. That's a lot of talking about Monday Night Raw. That might be the most we've talked about Raw on uh, on on Wrestle Roasts in, in years. Uh, and a lot of decent stuff to it. Uh, there was the uh, the NXT show, and I watched NXT for the first time in, I want to say, about a year. And the tactic that WWE did worked. Nick Khan's philosophy is to show that NXT, while a developmental brand, uh, while essentially coming out of the performance center and meant to be a training ground for, for guys to learn and grow and expand uh, had a unique opportunity and they took advantage of it to get on USA network and draw a decent rating. And as you have these new media rights negotiations, the argument is 
This is two hours of primetime television where we have recognizable stars. This should be worth a significant amount of money. How do you do that? Uh, you do the Simpsons uh, hundred uh, spinoff spectacular uh, thing with the uh, Chief Wiggum PI where, well, let's just have the Simpsons randomly show up. So what does WWE do? Uh, we have NXT. Let's just have random WWE superstars show up. And not just any superstar. Uh, you have Seth Rollins. You have Seth Rollins on NXT defending his title against Braun Breaker. That is a good enough reason to get eyeballs drawn to the NXT broadcast. So when you show that rating and you say, here's the value that we have with the company, uh, they can ask for more money for it. It's why Nick Khan is good at what he does. And the NXT show, some of it structured beautifully. If you haven't watched NXT in a while, it's worth if it's on demand or on the network or Peacock or wherever you are, uh, go back and check out some of it because there is some sleeper fun stuff in there. They know... Most of the people that are tuning in, they want to go see Seth Rollins. It's our chance to introduce different talent. And they open with Wesley against Tyler Bate. And it's for the North American title. And Wesley, for those of you guys who haven't seen him in a while, you think, okay, he was he was part of the, the Rascals. Uh, and then uh, that kind of fell apart for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, He's now standing on his own as a North American champion. Tyler Bate has has put on some weight. He looks he looks older. He looks more determined. And it's really fun to see the way these guys interact with each other because it was essentially a babyface versus babyface match. Uh, but it was a babyface, babyface match with Mustafa Ali as the referee and not knowing where his allegiances lie and them spotlighting their athleticism in, in the way that you would see on a dynamite uh, or you would see in a ring of honor, wherever that may be, but also coupled with a, a storyline. So you're not really giving away the entirety of it. You, you were left wanting to see Wesley versus Tyler Bate in a straight up match where there's not Mustafa Ali interference. But at the same time, if you're watching for the first time, you're seeing these guys, you're going, huh, this is both pretty interesting dudes. I'd like to see more of what they do as they develop. There was some stuff on here that was, Way, way, way less good. Uh, that's the most polite way I could put it. Uh, there was a, a segment with Chase University with uh, Duke Hudson and Thea Hale. It was a pep rally for Thea Hale. She's she's 19. She won a battle royal. She's going to be going up against Tiffany Stratton, who Tiffany Stratton is going to be a, a, a top star. When, they, when she's got the right seasoning, and I complimented her before when – she had the chance to go to the main roster essentially and said, look, I want at least another year uh, to get better. When she gets good, she's going to be really, really good. Thea Hale is not there yet. Uh, her acting skills are bad high school play. Duke Hudson, who I thought was really good before, seems to have regressed. My hope is he's supporting this this girl Thea Hale and this goofy Chase University thing for their, her title match next week. And then she's going to turn on her and join up with Tiffany and be her, her guy. That would be my hope. And that his delivery here that felt disingenuine was supposed to feel disingenuine. That is my rosy, optimistic Stanford cash checking mentality, but this was not good. It was not blocked. Well, it was not delivered. Well, uh, the star in this segment though, was Charlie Dempsey, who's William Regal's son. Uh, that kid has, Great camera presence. I look forward to seeing what he winds up doing down the road. Uh, there was a triple threat tag match 
that those guys seemed pretty well lost uh, for the most part. There was a guy, Tank Ledger, had some really good fire. Uh, Briggs and Jensen have a good look. I just don't know if they get to the main roster and they wind up getting swallowed up uh, and and lost. Um, there was Cora Jade versus Dana Brooke. And I don't know what we did as a species to warrant this match being put on television. Um, but Dana Brooke, who has been a part of the roster for a very long time, is still not very good. And I admire the fact that she loves wrestling. I admire the fact that she wants to get better. She stinks. And Cora Jade, who's very young, needs to be working with good, experienced wrestlers. And this this wasn't it. This definitely was not it. Uh, What was also weird is there was a segment with Von Wagner. And Von Wagner is a guy that Vince McMahon supposedly had earmarked as the next big star. And we've never seen any of it. It was a pre-recorded sit-down with him and Robert Stone. And this is, like, genuinely bizarre. I will fully – this – I don't understand it. Um, Because to my knowledge, Von Wagner and Robert Stone were were heels – uh, it's Von Wagner telling this very deep personal story with pictures about when he was a baby, he had skull issues and had to go for these intense surgeries and his his head had scarring and he was bullied as a child because of it. And his parents thought he wasn't going to live. And it was deeply emotional. So you kind of feel bad for all the times we were making fun of Von Wagner for looking, you know, kind of chromagnomy. Uh, but I didn't know what the takeaway of this was supposed to be, and that's never that's never a good thing. Uh, what was a good thing was Seth Rollins brushing up against Carmelo Hayes, who's the NXT champion. Uh, it's nice when you have you know, hey, I'm champ, you're champ. Let me give you a little bit of shine. Uh, and then uh, there was a Baron Corbin segment that, I mean, come on, guys, do you really you really think I'm gonna really gonna say something nice about Baron Corbin? Um, the the gist of it is. Uh, Carmelo's like, dude, you've been here forever and you you suck. And he's right. I will I will not come around on Baron Corbin. I think some of the happy Corbin uh and sad Corbin stuff uh, was kind of funny, but Baron Corbin, uh he ain't it and he's never going to be it and I'm really ready for him to kind of be uh done with pro wrestling. In the main event, it was Braun Breaker Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins has become this sort of modern day X-Pac in that he is the measuring stick. He is the guy that WWE puts you in the ring with him and sees what you can do. We saw it with Seth Rollins getting the best out of Omos. He's been delivering great matches. I mean, not that it's difficult, but with a guy like AJ Styles, uh, with the the match that he had with Damian Priest and highlighting Damian Priest, this was him testing out Braun Breaker, and they kept it relatively simple. They kept it well within the fairway, and it was a good match. Uh, you knew who was going to win. You knew there was no way Seth had any risk of losing that title. Uh, you knew that he had to get the pin. But Braun Breaker held his own. He followed direction well. And I think if you watch this, you go, yeah, there is something there with Braun Breaker. And he is a guy for the future that you can really build upon. And for the WWE to have some of those uh, laying in wait, Always a plus. You want to see a guy like Grayson Waller on SmackDown blossom and succeed. Uh, 
You want to see Carmelo Hayes get up to the main roster and get a chance to uh, succeed. Tiffany Stratton, you want to see her be able to deliver uh, on the main roster going forward. I, I think there are some some interesting complementary pieces that exist, and they have to feel good that their developmental system is uh, developing, for lack of a better term. It's, it's about to bear fruit. And when you watch the WWE product, you want the new guys, you want the young guys, you want the fresh talent, you want to see an Austin Theory uh, or a Gunther uh, step up and become the next main event guy. And I think Gunther, Gunther, sorry, uh, has really fit into that role nicely. And I think what he's doing as the leader of Imperium, his in-ring work, his intimidating promo skills, he is a guy who can be a main eventer for a long time. I think on SmackDown, Solo Sokoa has established that he is a guy who could be a main eventer uh, for a long time going forward. They've protected him well. They've positioned him as someone who's already a top-tier monster. It'll be fun to see see where he goes. And uh, yeah, I think if you watch NXT, you go, there's some good pieces. There's a lot of bad. There were some matches on there. There were some promos on there that were absolutely awful, amateurish, not a great idea. Uh, but building on this week to get you to tune in for week two of this gold rush, because now you want to see uh, Tiffany Hale and uh, 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 no, Tiffany Stratton. And uh, I already, already moved my notes. That's how that's how professional I am. Uh, I was like, ah, I've already done it. And then I had to go back and look. It was Thea Hale. Uh, Thea Hale and Tiffany Stratton. Uh, and then Carmelo Hayes and Baron Corbin. If they can hold some of the audience they drew this week, the experiment of letting main guys show up like on Saturday Night Live and old cast members would kind of pop back in, uh, then uh, all, all more power to them. Uh, and now it's time to shift that uh, that view to uh, dynamite or dud. Um, I will be fair about this show. I think there was some real good stuff on this show. There was some really rough stuff on this show. Um, but uh, show opened up with the Hardy Boys. So, you know, you had to wonder what, what day of the week is it that I accidentally tune into to Rampage. Uh, but no, it was Matt and Jeff against the guns. And I love the guns entrance, the the music, the fake Shawn Michaels attire, the spinning around uh, while they're standing and posing. All of it's fantastic. The match was there. Um, I think the guns are getting a little better. I think there definitely is a cohesion to them. Matt and Jeff are veering into into almost entirely novelty territory for me. Um, I I don't think that we're going to be able to recapture the best of what Jeff Hardy was, but he's a guy who can sell merchandise, which is always going to be a plus. He's a guy who's going to be able to get a pop for you. And as long as he can stay uh, healthy, there's a value to him. Uh, where there isn't a value to him is the fact that they're going to Canada and because he's not able to go to Canada, they're essentially they had to write him off TV for the next several weeks uh, because of travel issues. He's not allowed to go into the country and perform, uh, and that always becomes problematic and a liability. But uh, the guns pick up the win because Bullet Club Gold interferes. So my favorite, your favorite, everybody's favorite, Juice Robinson uh, and Jay White uh, help to interfere. 
I don't I don't mind the idea of the guns joining up with these guys. I think that's a fun little four you know four man stable that makes a lot more sense um, than some of the other groups that got thrown together, like the firm or uh, whatever the hell Davari's group was. But these guys together as a Bullet Club Gold, that's a fine little mid card stable right there. And if they catch fire, like we hope Jay White will. Awesome. Uh, they're beating down the Hardys, so Ricky Starks comes out to go uh, stop a essentially a, a four-on-one uh, all by himself. Super smart guy. Got to love the way he does math. Uh, but then uh, the uh, the guys at FTR come running out. Crowd goes nuts. Why do they go nuts? Because we're in Chicago. They know who FTR's buddy is, and they know who's supposed to be there. And then there's the big chant, and sure enough, here comes CM Punk. And CM Punk... Uh, pops in to attack them and set up a uh, basically an a an eight man tag at Collision where it'll be uh, Bullet Club Gold and the Guns against FTR, CM Punk, and Ricky Starks. This is in Punk's mind, giving Ricky Starks the rub, letting uh, you know letting the young guys work with uh, work with him again uh, in in Bullet Club Gold, and uh, you know we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that winds up working out. This is the only time that we see Punk the entire night, which was kind of odd since, you know, you're in Chicago. We assume you're going to get a little mileage out of him. And uh, it's Punk. I think any chance you can get to see Punk, there's still a little bit of specialness to it. It's seeing Punk in Chicago where the crowd absolutely loves and adores him. But part of the problem is Punk is very quickly just going to feel like a guy. And you don't necessarily want to see CM Punk just as, you know, a guy. Uh, you want to see him as somebody who really is uh, special. And this doesn't feel overly special. He went from, we're chomping at the bit to see CM Punk, we hadn't seen him in seven, eight years, to we're seeing CM Punk back and on this little renaissance, and now he's gone, it's been taken from us, to now CM Punk is back, and he's feuding with... Uh, Juice Robinson, when we know that there are bigger, more exciting things we want to see CM Punk doing. And part of you wants to say, yes, be patient and hope that we're going to get there. But part of you also knows Tony Khan's track record of being able to pull off some of those big moments isn't ideal. We waited a long time to see Hangman, the Bucks, and Kenny reunite and thought it was going to be this massive, massive moment. And instead, it kind of felt like a throwaway. On on our Patreon, we talked about Punk's Collision promo, where he referenced uh, the you know the the counterfeit bucks. But then I referenced the fact that the ESPN article that came out explicitly said they're not going forward with this as a storyline. And if you're putting that out there, it's a it's a way to tell the audience like, don't get excited, we're not getting this. So you're leaving all this money on the table. If they wind up, if this is a ruse, it's a dumb ruse. Just don't don't say that line. You don't need to say that line in the article. It doesn't help anybody. But you want to at least hold that hope that we're going to potentially see this. I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts, uh, if if Vince could have, he would have found a way to get Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels in the ring. And I think part of his frustration is by the time that he made amends with Bret, Bret was in a position where he really couldn't physically work. Um, 
you know, we got that weird quasi match at WrestleMania. Uh, that doesn't really count. Uh, his his U.S. title win against the Miz. No, come on. Uh, but I think Vince truly believes if he could have got Brett and Sean in the ring, he would have. And as executive vice presidents of a company who supposedly have a financial stake in it, they should be the ones that are all about let's put everything in the past. Let's make money off of this. And let's not overly telegraph the fact that this is not going to happen. Just my two cents. Uh, Jeff Jarrett versus Mark Briscoe in a uh, concession stand brawl. This was goofy, goofy television. And part of me wants to absolutely shit all over it. Uh, the Karen Jarrett showing up to squirt ketchup or hot sauce in Mark Briscoe's eyes, uh, them pelting each other with popcorn, uh, Papa Briscoe appearing, uh, interference with Sanjay Dutt, Suttonham Singh looking so uncoordinated after all this time training that him just standing there in a suit is really the way he should be used. Uh, interference with the best friends and Christopher Daniels and the uh, the the run-in at the end with Penta and Phoenix. This was just overbooked, wacky nonsense, but the audience loved it. They loved this. And it's a Chicago crowd. They wanted to have fun. The segment was fun. Do I want to say it was stupid? Yes. Do I want to say I'm sick and tired of seeing Jeff Jarrett on my TV? Yes. Was this a really fun segment? Yeah. So you need to have those on TV. It was fine. I don't think they necessarily trust Mark Briscoe right now to have a straight-up singles match, especially with Jeff Jarrett, and have it be great. So getting them on TV, giving the audience something fun, and a, a you know a little shout out you know to the old Tupelo uh, concession stand brawl, cool. Uh, we get uh, Blackpool Combat Club, Don Callis and Takeshita doing a promo in the back, uh, hyping the fact that they want to do a uh, a match against the Elite, where it's uh, John Moxley, Yuta, Claudio Castagnoli, and uh, Takeshita, and uh, Shota Umino against the elite, but we know some of the elite guys, namely Kenny, in another match. Uh, so we're going to get Hangman Page, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and then who are they? Who will be the other two men? I'm sure they'll pay that off later in the show uh, and not in a pre-tape. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the uh, the line that uh, Moxley had about Takeshita was genuinely entertaining. Uh, the promo was... It was fine, but him, him going to get you tall, dark, and sexy uh, genuinely popped me. I thought that was very, very funny. And, uh, you know, we're throwing matches at Forbidden Door. It's like every time with Tony Khan, it feels like he he's a, a guy who didn't realize his homework was due the next day and just scribbled something down. And I'm not saying the matches he put out there are bad, but – Give it a little bit of time. Set up the fact we're going to get Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite uh, and not make it feel like, oh, it's something we just discovered last minute we have to we have to do and throw out there. Um, I'll talk about Forbidden Door in a minute, but just putting that out there. Uh, we get Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and uh, Minoru Suzuki versus A.R. Fox, Action Andretti, and Darius Martin. Crowd was super excited to see A.R. Fox. A.R. Fox is a you know local dude there. Um, Suzuki... The audience likes him. 
a hell of a lot. They appreciate him. They respect him. He's definitely having some fun out there. Obviously, look, I'm the production guy. I'm going to say it. Them botching the moment where Jericho does the uh, the chin pose and then Suzuki kneels down next to him and does it and they cut to Sammy instead of staying on that shot was like unforgivable. I had like Kevin Dunn's voice screaming in the back of my head. You can't miss the shot. Yes, that's that's how Kevin Dunn screams. It's just fucking terrible. Uh, this match I, I thought was fine. A little sloppy. Sure. Uh, Darius showed some good fire in there. Uh, AR Fox trying to do some moves. We knew what the finish of this was going to be. We knew the point of this was to tell the story. And afterwards, we get that story, which is Renee interviewing the guys, asking Jericho, oh, my God, we saw you and Sting in the ring together. What a moment. What was that like? Jericho starts running down Sting for being selfish and greedy and being a whore, which feels kind of odd because – We've never portrayed Sting as that. Uh, we've never seen Sting as this as this guy who is, uh, you know, to the highest bidder. I mean, he's the dude who stuck with WCW while that ship was sinking uh, and went down to the bottom of the ocean with a Ric Flair wearing a T-shirt wrestling in Daytona Beach. So I don't know that that's necessarily the angle you want to go down. It feels like that kind of fake work shooty thing. Whatever. Sting comes out. He's clearly having some fun. Him and Darby uh, are needling at those guys, and uh, they accept the challenge for a six-man tag, and uh, their mystery partner will be announced at uh, a collision. So we don't, as of yet, know who it is, but Darby teases that, uh, hey, Jericho, you got a lot of enemies and a lot of companies. We're sure we can find somebody. Do I know who it is? No. Do I genuinely care who it is? No. The moment you want to see is Jericho and Sting in the ring. It's two legends who have never somehow wrestled before. It's a unique novelty. It's a chance to give uh, Forbidden Door extra star power. Fine. Uh, they tease this uh, Eliminator Tag Tournament with the Tumblr with Tony Schiavone and RJ City. Uh, Tony pulls out the first two names. Uh, this is uh, WCW. We, we saw this... Uh, this was the uh, Lethal Lottery. I actually love those types of goofy situations. I used to love those WCW Lethal Lottery things. You never know who's going to get partnered together. And then you wind up with, you know, a situation where like, you know, Arn Anderson is teaming with Firebreaker Chip. And it makes for strange bedfellows. It was fine. They kind of leave it as is wondering, are we coming back to this? We don't know. Uh, the Elite are clearly backstage in Chicago, live, 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 and are not complete cowards who did not show up at the actual taping. Um, I don't know what the hell Tony Khan was thinking here. Just, it's... So we know you can't put all these guys in the same building. The, the, The kids won't get along, even though CM Punk cut a promo on Collision, and in his ESPN article talking about how he's all about business. You can't put these guys in the same arena? Part of it, I think, is Kenny and the Bucks and Hangman are genuinely afraid of being in front of that Chicago crowd. This would be an audience that would absolutely tear their head off, and I don't think they want to hear those, you know, fuck the elite chants on their show. 
this is their home that they built. And a Chicago crowd, more than just about any other crowd, is going to be entirely pro CM Punk. And they're going to boo the crap out of whatever these guys are saying. And they don't want to turn heel. So the only option you were left with is a pre-tape. But when you have this pre-tape, it just kind of further highlights the fact that these guys are hiding and they're cowardly. And that's all you can really think about when you see this segment. Uh, The purpose of the segment was for them to accept the Blackpool Combat Club challenge that the Blackpool Combat Club issued in person or in backstage, but in person in Chicago. But the elite accepted through time travel means uh, in their DeLorean. And they announced that their fourth guy uh, is going to be Eddie Kingston. And I love it. I love Eddie Kingston. Uh, It's great to see him back. He has a rawness and an energy to him that feels a lot different than a lot of people on the show. He's really interesting. He cares about uh, this Forbidden Door show. He cares about New Japan. He's established that as such. And his logic of, you know, look, I'm Moxley's friend. I hate you guys, the elite. I think you're a bunch of jerks, but I hate Claudio Castagnoli more. And I will take any opportunity I can to beat the hell out of that guy. Simple storytelling. It worked. Didn't like the vehicle by which they got there. Adam Cole comes out for his promo. And right in the second row was a sign held up that just said Vince was right. And God help me. I popped. I I couldn't help it. Um, he he starts to talk about MJF and how MJF is a coward who should have uh, should have given him five more minutes. MJF comes out, does a pretty good job. He's trying to do the flair thing where he's trying to put over the guy while also burying him a little. Where it's like, look, I drew out the best of you. I brought back the uh, Panama City Playboy. Uh, I reminded people that you can have fantastic matches. So it's hey, I, I have great matches with guys. Uh, But then it's, you know, hey, I'm not giving you another shot. Why? Because I'm worried about your health. Because you had the concussions. Your brain is scrambled. Are you going to be able to to cognitively function after wrestling again? Like, I don't want to be the one to end your career. Great shitty heel stuff. Uh, They announce that uh, they are going to be tag team partners in this blind eliminator thing which is way too cutesy if you're trying to say that there's a legitimate drawing. Like, just say Tony Khan just made up the teams. Don't say we randomly drew out of 60 names, MJF and Adam Cole, doesn't pass straight face test. Don't overly insult your audience, but, you know, whatever. The moment where uh, MJF and Adam Cole both yelled at Shivani, super entertaining. Very funny, nice little character work. Uh, and then they get interrupted by what is Mike Lawrence's highlight of the year uh a tanahashi promo that looks like a hostage proof of life video it is shot far away it sounds like he is reading off of a card with zero emotion do i understand that english is nowhere near his first language yes is it fair to criticize him for this promo yes and no no in the sense of it's not his first language i totally understand it i get it At the same time, somebody saw this video. It got sent in. Somebody had to QC it. Somebody had to watch this. They should have said, you know what? Maybe we don't put this on TV. 
Maybe we find another vehicle avenue to give him some representation instead of making Tanahashi sound terrible, look unimpressive, uh, filmed in bad light with with flickering quality. I uh, didn't help anything. Adam Cole goads MJF by calling him a coward and saying everyone thinks he's a coward. So MJF accepts the match with with Tanahashi. And I say this as, again, someone who's very protective of the MJF character. He's not a guy who cares if you call him a coward. He is perpetuated by his own inflated self-worth. And he thinks the audience is so far beneath him that their opinion of him doesn't hold any water. And that his word is sacrosanct. What he says goes. If he says, I'm better than you and you know it, no one can change his mind. If he wins, it's because he is incredible. If he loses, it is because someone has cheated and conspired and he does not recognize that loss. So for him to be goaded by Adam Cole and look like, ah, I gotcha, it strains credibility a little bit. And that really kind of irked me. But I think the promo overall, it was fine. And we'll get Adam Cole and MJF at some point in time. Uh, we get Shibata and Orange Cassidy versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Danny Garcia. Really fun match. Crowd was super appreciative. Uh, this is where my standard Forbidden Door rant comes in, which is you see Zack Sabre Jr. Like, this dude is fantastic. Obviously, we know he's fantastic. I want to see more of him, and we're not going to get that. Shibata looked like a star here. We're not going to really see more of him every week on AEW TV. So it's kind of like teasing. I know that Shibata is in, you know, Ring of Honor, uh, but we don't really put the Ring of Honor guys on AEW TV because we really haven't worked out what the TV rights are. But damn it, I want to see more Zack Sabre Jr. He's got a great look. Obviously, he has filled out over the years. He's put on he's put on mass, he's put on muscle. He looks incredible. Uh, sign him. Bring him in. Have him be a part of your show every single week instead of this little one-off thing. Uh, him and, and Danny Garcia together was actually fun to see. It's, this is to further the AEW International Championship four-way. So you had uh, Shibata and Danny Garcia getting the win. Uh, I'm sorry. You had Danny Garcia and Zack Sabre getting the win uh, over Shibata and Orange Cassidy when Orange Cassidy accidentally hits the uh, orange punch on Shibata to tease a little bit of tension. That was fine. Dug the match. Really, really good stuff. Will Ospreay arriving at the building, talking about his hatred of Canada on social media because they really want to ensure that Kenny does not get booed in this match. I can see where it's going to be 50-50. I got news for you. It's going to be 50-50. Crowd's going to be super excited to see Will Ospreay. I'm be super excited to see Kenny Omega. They are not going to do standard face heel shtick, but they're trying. They're trying by saying how bad Canada is. We have Don Callis show up to align himself with Osprey to say, look, I'm Canadian and I think Canada sucks. In fact, I got special security that I'm going to bring for you because the Canadians are so hard up for coming after you. It's uh, it's a nice little piece of storytelling. I I, I liked it. Uh, Taya Valkyrie versus Chris Statlander. Great match. Really enjoyed it. Chris Statlander's outstanding. Taya Valkyrie will work well as a heel. In, in AEW going forward, I will not say anything further about Taya Valkyrie um, on the off chance that uh, you want you don't want uh, Rampage spoiled. 
So that's my way of basically very politely saying uh, I don't want to uh, spoil Rampage for you. But when you watch Rampage, we'll have more to talk about later. Uh, but something that we we do have to talk about now um, as we uh, as we as we move to the final segment of uh, of Dynamite is a, a special a welcome run in as opposed to what happened the majority of that that main event. Uh, Mike Lawrence is joining us. He has come out of his Ted Kaczynski bunker. Mike, how are you? I mean, it literally is Ted Kaczynski's bunker. He's dead and it's mine now. Yes, that was actually what I said to open the show when I'm trying to explain oh, nice. where everyone is. I said, Mike has inherited the bunker. And I said, no, he's being way less risky by hanging out with Pete Davidson. Because what could go wrong? <laughs> oh, uh, comment. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've, been, I've been picketing. So if I'm out of breath, it's because I barely walked. But for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I walk. I walk like eight thousand steps, and uh, I am, I am uh, like an ultimate warrior entrance in the ring, man. I am gassed. I think the one positive of the writer's strike is this is the first cardio a lot of these writers have gotten in a very long time, and we don't know how to deal with it. That is true. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't yeah. want to see a buff Chuck Lorre. Yeah, all our all like all our hair looks like Matt Bourne's, like <laughs> doink wave. <laughs> Oh man! So I, I was just getting to the the last segment of uh, that was that was uh, I didn't know. Did, did you did did you watch the dark side? Uh, which dark of, side? Of doink. No, I have not oh, watched the, one... the dark side of Doink yet. Okay. Oh, you just watched the happy side of the Graham family. Uh, well, yes, uh, the happy ending, <laughs> the the definitive ending, uh, which I appreciated. But uh, no, I, I'm I'm still a little behind uh, on on dark side, but. Uh, yeah, last last week's it ended in both a bang and a whimper. Well, that's <laughs> oh man, I come, uh, I come in hot, baby. Uh, I, I, I love uh, it. But uh, where where we're at right now is I'm finishing up uh, Dynamite or Dub with the last segment where Eddie Kingston comes out to get confronted by Moxley to announce that Ishii is going to be there, and then Danielson attacks him, and then we get the star turn of the Rainmaker uh, Okada who clearly just came from his day job at Hollister. Dude. Yeah. I, I, I texted us to the thread, like just fly them in a day early. I know me and you are the, the less, uh, less big fans of, of new Japan, but like make these guys look like stars. Yeah. You know, like, like here's the thing. Your TV has way more viewers than your pay-per-view. Have Okada come out in the rainmaker outfit. It look, uh, the rainmaker. Sorry. Uh, I was mixing that with Ringmaster. No, but no, Rain the Rainmaker outfit is cool, and he looks like a star in it. It's it, like I don't know, man. I, and even I will be the guy like back in my day. But even when dudes used to show up in casual outfits, it was often suits. You know, like Andre had a suit. They looked cool. Yeah, I, I think he he definitely looked too casual and i feel like we had this problem last year with forbidden door where the guys showed up and they were not dressed in an impressively no and it's such a thing that goes a long way in terms of projection like because not only do you have to make them look like stars you have to make them look like stars equal to the level of the people we see every week no it's just a it's just a weird uh presentation which Speaking of CM Punk, I'm sure you've talked about that, right? I, I did it before where I basically said, 
he now just feels like a guy uh, where where the situation is you 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 want to see him feel important and special and instead he's just kind of now in this feud with bullet club gold as opposed to the feud you want to see with the elite dude when he came out and he said i'm a more i'm not even supposed to be here i'm a collision guy that was so embarrassing to me it's a great clerks reference <laughs> it just it just felt like it was like you know my mom said i'm not supposed to hang out with you guys it, it felt like when Bart was banned from going over to mill houses. <laughs> Those keeping track, that is the second Simpsons reference of this episode so far. So we're, we're doing well. Um, yeah, because I, bone storm is still a better name than collision. Bone storm would be a better wrestler name than uh action Andretti. <laughs> yeah, it would. Or AR Fox, pretty much anybody in that six man tag. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Lee Carvello's putting challenge is a better name than Action Andretti. I love Lee Carvello's putting challenge. Uh, <laughs> so much so that when I was in high school and I had to take a computer class because you were required to take a computer class, we had to build a game, and I literally made Lee Carvello's putting challenge. <laughs> and it, he's in he's in Happy Gilmore, isn't he? Is he? I think. Lee Carvello's in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, man. Just the, the best parts of my childhood. Thank you, Lee Carvello. <laughs> That's what it's all about. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. It, One it's thing for... is he feels special and Punk doesn't. Well, that's that's not hard to that's not hard to do. Uh, but what I think was even more damning, and maybe I'm too harsh on this, I'm curious in your opinion. The pre-tape with the elite that where they were supposed to be there live, but they're clearly not, made them look to me like cowards. And it was way too distracting. Yeah, it does. You know, especially because it takes away the sense of urgency. Like, yeah, even if these guys aren't, you know, friendly with each other, they're so mad at their opponents, they don't care. Yeah. You, you at least want that illusion. Uh, it was it was weird, though. I do like Eddie Kingston burying them in the main event segment where I was like, I told them they were all soft and they got sad and went home. I'm like, all right, I, I like that. That was kind of fun. Uh, I'm sure you're super. Dude, he called himself fat so that we couldn't. Yes, I, I, I do appreciate his uh, his self body shaming, his preemptive body shaming. Uh, it's the best long term booking he's had in a while. <laughs> he does look like Spanky from the Little Rats. He uh, he yeah, he does. That'd be a hell of a gimmick for him. He used to have like the worst gimmicks ever. Like that was kind of like Eddie Kingston's go-to. See, anywhere he was, he just had these incredibly stupid gimmicks. Um, I, I remember when we we were talking about bringing him in MLW, and I'm like, we're going to bring him in as the Puerto Rican coal miner. He's going to come out from under the ring wearing like a hard hat with a lantern and a pickaxe. It's going to be fantastic. I think, I, I think, man, you know, have him do a little rascal's gimmick. He does a froggy splash, <laughs> and he has. Alfalfa Academy. This is this is way better than anything we're getting on on uh, on Dynamite. I'll be I'll be honest. Are you are you going to watch Forbidden Door this, this weekend or no? Oh, absolutely not. No, you're not you're not no. even a little intrigued to at least see Danielson Okada as a novelty. Yeah, I, I am. You know, I don't. I, I just I, you know, as, as you know, we are we are the parenting half of this podcast in time is a, a hard commodity to come by. And so I will definitely watch it like once Logie's put to bed and asleep, like that match. But most of these matches, they're just thrown together. I mean, 
it's a two match show. The, the two matches feel compelling, but it does not feel like it's justifying the price tag as a whole. And um, I just think there's a million ways you could have even done Brian Okada and made that more special. I think that's when Brian should have come back, not before that. Um, dude, and even even having Okada had to sell for Wheeler Yuta didn't help anybody. Yeah, Yuta's, Yuta's way too big of a guy to deal with a guy like Okada. <laughs> I I agree. He's he's a mega, he's a megastar. Dude, even like Tana, Tanahashi and MJF, like the little I know about Tanahashi as being like their big baby face, long time like guy, their you know stalwart. I feel like that could have been more special. Um, so to that point, because I, I, I talked about it uh, when we, when I go to that part, but the promo that he sent in was so poorly shot, delivered, all of it. Somebody should have watched that and been like, you know what? Let's go a different route. Let's not put this on television. Dude, that 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 video had worse audio than anything you're going to hear on this episode, and that's saying something. Yes. Mike is recording this from a car, by the way. So if he sounds yeah. – uh, yeah. he's not living in the car. He's just temporarily there while driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a caveat no, we have to I, give with everybody I, on the show. Yeah, I thought that that uh, dude that that promo man. It, why not just have them speak in Japanese and do subtitles if it's gonna be that bad? It's I don't mind that these guys speak a different language, but like, you know, here's here's the thing, and this goes to a bigger point, right? Like, what do we always say about Paul Heyman? And 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 in many ways, we know that Tony is a big Heyman fan because of the randomness of uh sabu uh, appearing uh at a pay-per-view but but you know the one thing we always say about ecw right you hide the weaknesses even more than showing the strengths hiding the weaknesses is the most important thing and these got like forbidden door is supposed to be this is a company like i said on equal if not even a superior level they are challenging our AEW roster. Why would you make them look anything less than special? It's very Vince McMahon. Vince never yeah. liked to make anybody from another company look on even footing. But now would you say, and, and look, I know that the debut was in NXT, but the beginning of Nakamura felt special in a way that even none of these guys have Nakamura I thought was very well protected in NXT yes he was but I think what they know is if you are a hardcore fan you're going to order Forbidden Door because you want to see Kenny and Osprey and you want to see Okada and Brian and if you're not a hardcore fan there is nothing that they have presented on TV that's going to make you really want to go out and order this show it's like I'm going to see Sting and Jericho I'm sure we're going to wind up getting a rematch in a week. Well, it's not even Sting and Jericho. It's them in a six-man when what you want to see is Sting and Jericho. Correct. Which, look, if if this builds that up, I mean, I think that should be a Wembley match. Yes. And, um, but I would, you know, I'm one of those, like, people, like, I don't think dudes should touch at all before they enter the ring a lot of times. You and most Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you know, and I, and I even feel that way. Like, yeah, that that end segment of um, Dynamite. If you had just ended it with 
Okada and Danielson staring, that's enough. Yes, but you still needed to get the Eddie Kingston announcing Ishii. Like they were just they were just cramming so much stuff into that. Uh I and I also feel that they didn't want to put uh Okada in a position where he had to talk. And if yeah, he just no. attacks Brian first, then it looks then it looks like he's the heel. Yeah, and, and it's also so right now we have the Owen men's, the Owen women's, and now this wacky tag. Tor- there's three tournaments. <laughs> yes. There's a, there, there's a lot of tournaments. And honestly, if, if for the Okada thing, to make that feel special, steal a page from the WWE book and have them do a, a press conference. Have Tony yeah, that's Khan what they and, did with Nakamura, right? Nakamura yes. first. They did, but have the New Japan president and Tony Khan at a table with, you know, stage it with reporters. Don't let Nick, don't let Nick Houseman go there. And have Okada sitting there and Brian sitting there. And you can do a pull apart and make it feel special. But, but you know what? It's funny. I don't think that match even needs a pull apart. Like, I think that it's okay to lean into the mutual respect of it all. I don't, I don't think it needs heel baby. It's just like there are so few matches left like that on the table of a match for the sake of who's better. And that's all it needs to be. I, I say simplify it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think they know they're going to get they're going to get their money out of it just by hanging the shingle and saying this match is going to happen. And however many people ordered Forbidden Door last year will absolutely order it again this year. I don't know how many new buys they're going to get. and But I also don't know, like, and look, in a post-Flash world, will there be diminished returns? Well, now you're now you're talking in my wheelhouse, baby. Uh, now I'm listening. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I, in some ways, I think that that the AEW is comparable to DC right now in that Wembley, Wembley is James Gunn. And Forbidden yeah. Door, and even Double or Nothing, or this last slate of things before we get to the big thing. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the dumbest thing DC did was tell people four or five movies out that none of what you're seeing even matters. Well, I know DC's trying to course correct with Blue Beetle by trying to say, like, he, he's the first DCU character, but you still have another Aquaman movie to get through. And there's something else they have. I don't remember what else there is. I don't know. I think that's it. But I mean, it's just, but it's just a mess. And and when you tell people, hey, you don't, you know, this is optional viewing. They're like, okay. And also, I mean, well, now we're just fully into comic talk, which thank God. Um, <laughs> you know, this was like what the fourth multiverse movie in a year, so. I mean, you you just had you had No Way Home, which did fan service better. You had Spider Verse, which did new possibilities of what a multiverse can be better. You had Doctor Strange, which so you already had even a horror director uh, do a multiverse comic movie before Andy Muschietti got to. <laughs> yes, which did give you the second and a half of the X Men theme song, and that was really all I ever needed. Yeah, and that yellow, that yellow chair, baby. 
the yellow wheelchair and the uh the x-men animated theme song noise and i saw you know john krasinski as mr fantastic like i'm good um but yeah if you were to see anson mount reprise his role as black bolt yes the you you were the one viewer that watched that show (laughs) that's one of the few things i never i I had it on the dvr and just never went up watching it when in fact i got canceled oh me i i couldn't do it i couldn't do it you know i but I also, I'm that person who will tell you, uh, you know who else couldn't make the Inhumans work? Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. That is true. But then again, like I watched Iron Fist. So I'll watch pretty, I watch almost anything with a Marvel logo in front of it. Dude, Iron Fist was the first one I was like, I can't do this. I watched the pilot and I was like, I'm out. It was a huge moment for me. Wow. But then I, I also was excited about the Craven trailer this week. So I'm back. I saw the Craven trailer. I'm, I mean, it's one where like, I'll see it, but I don't know. I am ex- I haven't watched Secret Invasion yet. I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, you saw the 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 um, intro with with AI. I saw a heading for. I try to avoid reading anything before until the actual show comes out because then it winds up like spoiling something. Where you're like, oh, did you not know X Y Z is gonna happen? I'm like, oh fuck! I like I want to sit and watch it and have it be uh, pristine. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that Tanahashi promo was AI. If that was AI, the writers have no reason to strike. <laughs> you guys will be just, just fine. Um, were there I mean, were what a lot of people? Think, what did you think of Punk coming out and being like, "I yeah, I'm not supposed to be here. Come to my place where I can be and fight me there." I feel like the the audience, you know, they got what they wanted from punk on collision, which was him to come out there and do the big promo. And then this felt like an extended cameo where we're in Chicago and we're going to sell tickets by saying punk's going to be there and he doesn't do much. Yeah. And dude, collision got what? 860,000. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge. Like, why wouldn't you treat him more like a star? Because what's he going to do in Chicago? He's, he can't cut another promo because if he tries to cut another full-on promo, you're, you're, the crowd's going to want to talk about the elite. And they're going to try yeah. to hijack it and chant the elite. So by this logic, he's giving these young guys a rub. And it's like, come watch me team with Ricky Starks and FTR. And they're going to take on the guns. And they're going to take on Bullet Club. And now tune in to Collision because I'm going to be there. It's a fine little promo for that. But... He really does just kind of feel like a guy, and that kind of sucks a little bit. Because he didn't feel like a guy when he cut the promo on Saturday. He felt special. He did feel special. He, I mean, he had a. He clearly had like a. It was like a. It was like a political speech. He had his line. His, you know, uh, tell me when I'm lying or whatever it is. It's like you get that in stump speeches. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Tell me when yeah. I'm telling lies. That's what it was. Um, and you could just kind of keep going. And he, he I think you sent it to the, the, the group, you were like, he's a prop comic. He came out there with the shoes just to do that one line about the shoes. And the bag. Oh, yeah, and the bag. But he, he never showed what was inside baby. of it. I'm hoping it was kind of like uh, when Earthquake squished uh, Damien and it was just a bag of hamburger meat. I hope it's Eric Rowan's spider. I hope it's Eric Rowan. That dude needs a payday. <laughs> That's why it was red. It was just his beard the reflection. But also, do do I really like you're doing this match now a second week in a row? Do I need to see Bullet Club Gold lose again to Punk, or do I need to see Punk lose in his second week? 
You could have just ended the sentence that, do I need to see Bullet Club Gold? First of all, Juice Robinson is fantastic. I'm joking. Uh, he's Scott's not here. He's, he's somewhere going, guys, you don't understand. He's amazing. He's not. Scott's not here because he's busy being Juice Robinson. Uh, no, Scott's way better than Juice Robinson. He's got more presence. <laughs> Juice I don't Robinson. Know why. He just reminds me of if Scott was a wrestler. Because Scott, no, because it, that doesn't work because Scott would be in on the joke. Yeah, that's true. I don't know that Juice is necessarily as in on the joke. Um, I, w- I will ask this one one thing this, to pivot off of Dynamite, though, because uh, okay. we rarely get the chance to talk about SmackDown ever. But at least the the ending of SmackDown last week, just to set the table for you guys, that. just set yeah. the table for the audience. This was the what's Jey Uso's decision going to be? You had Roman and Heyman and Solo on one side and Jimmy on the other. And then laying out the case to Jay of why you should join the bloodline and your brother didn't believe in you. We do. We're going to make you the next head of the table. And it ends with Jay and Jimmy uniting, kicking Roman Reigns, head off. I thought it was a spectacular display of why pro wrestling is fucking awesome. Uh, what'd you think of this, Mike? I thought it was great. I thought it was a little dragged out. You know, I, I can see people who are um, a little hesitant to fully get into this story or the presentation of it because of how dragged out some of that. I mean, when they went like eat to Jay at the end, that was a little cheesy, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, overall, I mean, I thought this was awesome. Uh, and because even look, I think like some of the bloodline story has had hiccups here and there, but what I love is that they've never stopped having a story and they yes. never stopped telling a story like and i mean i you know my biggest issue with all of this is a, a larger problem which is that i think that roman feels lesser than now with the other title i think it really did mean more him as head of the table tribal chief when he's the only world champion um and having those guys turn on the only world champion feels like a bigger deal um but that's you know not their fault they're still telling the best story they can that's that's a dumb triple h vince decision or whatever it is uh but but i thought overall yeah this was awesome i mean this this match is going to be at uh, money in the bank in the uk right it is yes they're they're stacking this show to try to remind the london audience you know we're we're still your dad and we still love you (laughs) Yeah, um, and I think, like, there's a part of me, I, I, I would hold this off the SummerSlam just to let it build more, but time, I think it'll be exciting. I think, uh, you know the thing that I thought, and, and look, like, I am not, like, a pro-WWE, anti-AW, like, look, I, I, I think there's strengths and weaknesses in both companies, but one thing I did really think of when I watched this was, Man, they are reclaiming the super kick as meaningful. Yes. You know, and, sold and, it like and he I, got I, shot. Yeah, and I feel that way for the past couple months, you know, with Sammy and all of that. Using that move, you know, like the the super kick to us um is Michael's and Genetti. And yes, I know that it's uh the Mandela effect that makes me think he kicks him through the Class, I know he doesn't. He kicks him, then he throws him to the class. But it still is that ultimate turncoat move. And it should feel special. And, you know, 
we see so many people do a super kick all the time, but a kick to the face is a kick to the face and can be a powerful thing. And they, yeah, to me, they like kind of reclaimed it as this amazing thing. And, you know, and I watched this, I, I didn't watch SmackDown. I watched this on YouTube and they did a good job of having all the lead in segments with Heyman and everything and really building up um, the suspense of this. And I, I thought, yeah, like, I don't think that there's a story in AEW now that A, is this good? B, feels like a story. <laughs> you know? like, it, it feels like we always we always joke like they call themselves weekly episodic TV. The Bloodline storyline has been weekly episodic TV. Raw doesn't have that. Dynamite doesn't have that. But when there's no. something going on with Bloodline, you tune in and see what it is. And more often than not, even when it was Sammy joining Bloodline and then getting kicked out – and the Cody stuff and where we are now, there's been beats and moments. And this story has been going on since September of 2020. And it still feels like there's mileage to go. You know, and you know what I'll, you know what I'll say, you know, you know what almost hampered this segment was um, Lexington, Kentucky and their what chance. Yes. And I mean, I think the first episode I ever did, of this show as a co-host i think we were all talking about a thing that like we would like to see gone from wrestling and i said what chance and i immediately thought of that when i was watching uh, uh this i mean dude it there's just they're just so harmful man and i know even austin is like yeah thank you but please please stop <laughs> to get in the way of good stories man and 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 it's just like and i will i think the fans can say what they want and you know and i think a lot of times when they hijack it's because something deserves to be hijacked i think this is just we don't get wrestling a lot let's make it our own yes and you you get people who oh the wrestling's in town we're gonna go and we want to make it about us and yeah. uh, in in the same way for a long time it was you wanted to get the uh chant like you know you go to an ECW show you just want to chant you fucked up or I just watched the Tom the the Candido one it's like you want to chant she's a crack whore just for nostalgia yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh all oh, right yeah. so we'll we'll do uh we'll do high spot low spot and then we'll get out of here for this portion after we're done with this Zach's going to put uh Scott's part there where he talks about how dope AEW Dynamite was, and how Mike and I don't know what we're talking about, and uh, we're losers. So, <laughs> Mike, what's your what's your high spot and low spot of the week? Uh, my high spot would be um, Doink's daughter. Doink's daughter was really cool on this dark side. Um, she talked about watching her dad wrestle with like such an affinity and joy that you rarely ever see on one of these shows. Um, a lot of times the families, and rightfully so, act like, you know, wrestling was just the thing that helped ruin their families, because it usually is. Uh, but she talks about him wrestling Steamboat at WrestleMania 1, and she was like, you know, and, and I think it was, you know, clear, like, this was when she was an adult, and she had, like, such an admiration for him. And, you know, look, like, I'll I'll, I'll get sappy here for a sec, you know. This is my first Father's Day without my dad. Like seeing this person, like have this footage of their father and and be able to go back to it and be like, oh, my dad was cool. I don't know, man. That was a real high spot. 
No, that's awesome. And, and it was, I'm sure, a great dark side with a really happy ending. So <laughs> the circus yeah. is closed. Uh, My hope is that there were multiple doink daughters in the same way there were multiple doinks. Okay, then my, my low spot, and I think this might be a little old um, by a week or two, but the, the Slaughter family going after Lacey Evans. Yeah. This was amazing. Um, going after her for gimmick infringement, and then Lacey, uh, I mean, Lacey's response is my eye spot, like, just, you know, calling them stolen valor assholes <laughs> and like, like oh, i'm actually am a marine i i can uh do this gimmick <laughs> i thought it was pretty um but yeah the like slaughter's daughter oh, that's a fun sentence which it sounds like a december song um but slaughter's daughter uh got like in a big argument of like you know you stole from my dad and this and that that's like it's a it's a marine gimmick first to do that either that's right i just have the december stuck in my head now so thank you nice i'm reworking i uh, am a slaughter's daughter no no i'm reworking dracula's daughter into slaughter's daughter and it's it's just as good um but uh all right so that's that's your high spot low spot as uh i'll do my I'm gonna do my hotspot. So my my hotspot was that uh, that Jey Uso uh, segment with Roman on SmackDown. I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, also, this is there was a moment on on Raw where, for those people who didn't see it on social media, Rhea Ripley, who I said a lot of praise about earlier in the episode, uh, posted something on her Instagram that was of an adult nature. Um, it was a portrait of her that one of her fans enjoyed and he enjoyed himself all over this pic, this picture. And she chose to then retweet that picture out to the world, uh, for reasons I don't fully know or understand and now can't unsee. And it was whatever, uh, Corey Graves referencing it on raw in a subtle way makes you appreciate what Corey Graves does on commentary. And I thought he was, he was awesome. Uh, also I guess high spot. Super happy that Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness are back as commentators on Collision. And Kevin said, you know, how much he loved uh, being back there and how great everybody in AEW was to him. Uh, it was it's really awesome. He was a great guy. He's a dude who should have gotten more of an opportunity in WWE. But for the fact that he looks a little Eddie Kingston, -y. Um, my my low spot was from Raw. Uh, Ra uh, Raquel Rodriguez and Trish Stratus had a really bad match. Um, this whole Trish return thing, it's great that she wants to come back and help the younger generation or whatever. You can't pretend that she was ever a great in-ring performer. And him and Raquel having a one-on-one -on -one match was pretty uncomfortable. Uh, there are some moments in there where they're both clearly lost. And you shouldn't see that on the main roster. I talked about NXT earlier, where guys, I get it, you're working it out, you're going to look lost. You can't have that on Raw. Uh, it was, uh, it was not, uh, not the best, uh, but what was the best was, uh, I was, I was gonna, I have, I have like a quick, uh, other high spot, low spot. Sure. I was just thinking of other things. High spot. I, I am excited for fight forever. You know, um, I, I did not get, uh, the latest 2k game. Um, I was kind of burned by the last few. I I'm excited to play uh, a new wrestling game and, Hopefully the nerds uh, made a good one. 
Um, yeah. and, and then, um, God, that's why now I forgot what my little, oh, my low spot. Um, and I want to talk about this just for a minute with you, but MJF being on Rampage is a massive low spot to me. Yes. The fact that he only ever was on Dynamite, never on Dark, never on Rampage, made him feel special. Now he's world champion and he's going on lesser shows. And I don't know how he feels smaller and a, a lesser star when he's supposed to be your world champion. I don't love him there. Uh, I think the only reason why he's on it uh, is because they taped it after uh, after Dynamite. And they're like, well, we may as well get an extra little moment. Because, I, I, again, for those of you, the three people who watch Rampage don't want it spoiled, he is there to set up another match for Forbidden Door. And they needed a way to get that onto the show and try to help get him back a little bit of the heat that he lost from what happened on uh, on Dynamite. Yeah, but I just think he loses so much heat by even being on Rampage. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I like that his whole thing was he never appeared on, on Rampage, but there he was. So yep. maybe, they'll, maybe they'll pop a huge rating uh, for him, so that'll be that'll be nice. And uh, if it doesn't, that hurts him even more. That is, that is true. Uh, he, there's very little to gain and a lot to lose. But, Plus, you know, Shabbat, so he won't even be able to watch that is true um and he is such an observant jew that's that should have been the reason why, if, if forbidden door was on a saturday she'd been like that's why i can't compete uh well if it's after eight o'clock he can right i guess if it's after sundown sure but if he if he maintains he's on west coast time yeah but you know, <laughs> well, it's toronto he could do it that is true canadian shabbat rules are different than u.s shabbat rules um <laughs> but uh Hey, what, what does rule was uh, was this episode thus far, but stay tuned after we're going to have Scott's thoughts on Dynamite and Forbidden Door. And this weekend on the Patreon, Dan is going to talk Dynamite, Collision, SmackDown and his Montreal shows. So quick plug for that. If you're in Montreal Friday night, Saturday night, Dan's going to be doing uh, some live comedy. Go check that out. Mike, anything you want to plug? Yeah, as I say, if you know the Doink episode didn't give you enough of your fix for a sad, addicted clown, Dan will be on this episode. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, uh, oh, Bupkis. Bupkis is on Peacock. Okay, Bup- Bupkis is on Peacock. Watch Bupkis. It's a very fun show, even if there's not enough wrestling content on there. Uh, but uh, I will I will preemptively say before Scott gets on, uh, on behalf of Dan, Mike, Scott, Zach, Logan, and all of us here at WrestleRoast, best of luck in your future endeavors and wash your hands. Oh, welcome to New Japan Corner. It's its own room now. It's its own space. Because on account of the Forbidden Door, I don't know if this is going to record. I don't know if this is going to send to Zach. I do know i got to make this quick, though, because Zach's got to go to work. My dog was barking at a fox. Um, oh, gosh, I'm becoming Dan. I'm becoming Dan. Oh, no. Gotta run. Okay, anyway, listen, dynamite or dud. I thought it was a, um, like, I, I don't know. It was pretty dynamite, man. It was. Here's the thing about a dud. We're still talking about a bomb, right? You're still sitting there going, oh, man, something's about to go off. And sometimes something doesn't. But usually it does, and that's what makes it dynamite. 
And man, Okada showed up. That was worth our time, right? I don't think it was, I don't think it was mapped out well. I don't like the idea of, hey, Okada has a, um, you know, oh, Danielson is calling out Okada. And then at 20 seconds left of the show, Danielson is in a brawl with people and then Okada comes out. Um, I thought that was super corny. I didn't think Eddie Kingston had to go out there. I think the way Eddie Kingston announced Ishii, it was like Moxley actually didn't have anything to say. And so he just had to announce him. And I felt, I felt bad for Eddie on that one. I mean, Moxley should have ran with it, you know, you yes and that shit, but he could not. And that was, uh, unfortunate and, 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 and a bummer. Um, uh, but other than than those moments, I did like that you got to see Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr. in a really a fun match. Um, a, a, another thing they did, which I didn't like, that is similar to the the Okada and um, Danielson thing, is as the match ends, they announce that it's going to be a four way. And then you see this tension build between the titles after they announce the four-way. Um, that's not how it's supposed to go. Let the tension build. Um, and then, sorry, Zach texted me. He's like, you got to get this to me. And I'm like, I know, I'm a moron. Ah, anyway, um, yeah, I think you need to let storylines build naturally as opposed to announcing matches on commentary and then watching the match build unfold in front of us like the wrestlers also have earpieces to commentary okay but those are my only complaints otherwise what a fun show with some really fun wrestling you got to see osprey you wonder what forbidden you know what what will come of forbidden door in terms of um Don Callis, I guess, approaching him and saying, hey, you're going to need security in Canada. Who's he going to get? Because Osprey already has United Empire, and that's like Jeff Cobb and shit. Those guys are unstoppable. Who's better security than them? So it's like with Lance Storm and shit. It's going to be weird. I'm interested. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing with New Japan is when they do make an announcement, of a guy who is going to be in a match or who is going to be, um, let's say, security. Most of the people aren't going to really know or be excited. And honestly, as a huge New Japan fan, sometimes I'm not that excited um, about certain guys. There was literally a fox in behind the fence. And then my dog's there. And my dog has a period. This is bad, guys. This is the forbidden door. This is the real, if the forbidden fence, please fence hold up. Anyway, um, so yeah, let's, uh, I, I did like the show. I thought it was fun in terms of it getting me excited, not just for Forbidden Door, but for Collision, which, what, this is, I guess, the second week they've had to do that, but really the first in terms of, um, all right, on to the next episode of, uh, of Collision, you know? And so I thought Dynamite did a great job of getting me intrigued for Collision. Um, and honestly intrigued for more announcements about Forbidden Door, which I think is a really big deal. So, okay, let's run down the Forbidden Door um, show, and then I will give you my predictions. I'm going to go off the top of the dome at first, 
I think um, I think Osprey versus Omega. I really do have a feeling Osprey is going to win, only because of this Callus situation. Because if Cal if Callus doesn't come through with something that could make Will win, um, then Callus is not a a great heel opponent for Omega and. Omega needs Callus to actually have control of a stable or at least of the situation for a while so he can be the underdog and actually beat this villain, right, is the idea. So I do think Osprey needs to win. It's just how. Also, if Osprey wins, right, so that's a New Japan guy winning, um, does that mean Danielson beats Okada? I think it's possible. I think that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, if Danielson beats Okada, God, I would love that. I think Danielson deserves to beat Okada. Uh, why the hell not? The only thing is, you know, to an American audience, how do you beat Okada? This guy who is, you know, to some, the, the best in-ring wrestler ever. And to many in America, they have, they haven't seen that yet, right? So you'd want him, you'd want him to beat Danielson. But what does beating Danielson even mean if so many guys have done it? So maybe let Danielson beat him. Um, in a cheating ass way, you know, Sonata versus Jungle Boy, obviously Sonata wins. Um, I do think this will be an awesome match, a really fun match. Sonata's a young guy, he's a talented guy. I don't think the title should be on the line. I do not think it should be Jungle Boy, but hey, here we are. So Sonata, MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Obviously, this should be CM Punk showing up and not MJF. MJF refusing to, CM Punk being like, yeah, well, guess what? I'm kind of sort of champ too. Let's wrestle. He doesn't even got to present the title. Just let him know, hey, I'm kind of sort of champ too. Boom. Um, but it's not the case. So I guess MJF would win in a heelish way. I don't know. Very weird. I don't understand. I'm guessing this is more of a segment and not a match. Punk versus Kojima. Yikes. Shouldn't be happening. God bless Kojima, an absolute legend. He looks older. Um, crowds don't get excited about him. He's not a part of the more current New Japan boom, which was the Bucks and Omega and Okada and Naito um, and Ishii even, right? At, gosh, and that boom was five years ago. So even even though the, the more current boom, the Ospreys, right? The Hiromus. Um, anyway, Punk obviously wins that. Orange Cassidy versus Garcia versus Zack Sabre versus Shibata. I think it's OC in a really fun match. Tony versus Willow. I actually think Willow wins. No, Tony wins. And uh, this should have been Sasha, Mercedes. Maybe she makes an appearance. I don't know. Um, Takeshita, Umino, Blackpool Combat Club versus Eddie Kingston, Ishii, and the Elite. I think Blackpool might win, right? The Elite won last time. Um, Ishii is going to create tension between the Elite and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It'll be a bloodbath. Hopefully, honestly, it opens the show and it goes like 15 of just chaos, cool moments, cool wrestling, a little bit of New Japan, a little bit of um, AEW, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Okay. And my dog is being eaten by a fox right now. Um, and also Chris Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, Sammy uh, Guevara versus Sting and Darby Allen. Uh, and a to-be-determined um, tag team partner for Sting and Darby. I mean, who do they pick for us to get excited about? That's the thing. It's tough. 
right? Maybe the great Muda, which what? He comes back to have one more match? No, that's not going to happen. So who would get people hyped? It's tough because I don't think there's really anybody to get people hyped. I would pick a guy like Aroma or something. Obviously, Naito would be a lot of fun. But I, I just don't know who, who did Jericho feud with in the past in New Japan besides Naito that's worth anybody's time. Nobody. So, not sure. But I do know this show is going to be awesome. And I do know Zach needs to get this. I love you all. Subscribe to the Patreon. We'll talk more about this stuff. Uh, I love wrestling.